Hey, COF family, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Uh, man, it's, I gotta be honest, I'm, I'm in the lobby at Community of Faith in the church, and you know, just a couple of days ago, this place was a little bit crazy, um, kind of chaotic. There were people in and out, and we were singing, and we were listening, and we were celebrating everything that is Christmas, and it was, uh, it was just an incredible time. Uh, and I know you're probably looking behind me, if you haven't been on campus, uh, we have this photo booth set up in the lobby and uh, it's going to be here for one more weekend, so if you have missed out or you didn't want to wait in line at the Christmas services, um, you can be here this coming weekend, and we're going to still have it out for one more chance for you to take that perfect family picture in 2021, starting your year off right. Uh, but you know, one of the things that's interesting about today is we kind of find ourselves in the awkwardness between Christmas Day and New Year's Day. There's something weird about it. I don't know what you do in that week in between. Um, my week usually consists of a lot of uh, eating and a lot of college football, but it also puts me in a place of reflection, and I think a lot about the year that has happened and that is coming to an end, and really begin to look forward to the year that is ahead. And uh, I don't know where that lands with you. Maybe for you, you're like, man, come on 2020. Maybe for some, and I think even um, to reflect back this way, you might feel a little bit guilty, but I know some, you look back to 2020, you're like, you know, I know there was a lot of chaos in our world, but it really wasn't that bad for me and for my family. And you look back and you celebrate a lot of the good things that happened maybe for you, for your family in 2020. And so um, where we are, though, in this week, I want us to consider something. I want us to think about something. As I was reading the Christmas story a couple of weeks ago, I, I came to this one verse in Luke chapter 2, and I, I couldn't move past it. And I think the reason I struggled to move past it is because I was wrestling with some things even in my own life and really trying to wrap my mind around what this verse means for us in 2020. Coming off of a celebration of Jesus and his birth and his arrival on this earth. In Luke chapter 2, the angels appear to the shepherds and at the very end of kind of all that they're declaring to the shepherds about the arrival of Jesus, they say this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Just think about that for a second, the word peace. What does that mean? What does that mean for you? The angels say, and on earth peace among all with whom he is pleased. And I'll just be honest, as I read that verse, I started to kind of think and reflect, and I was like, man, I, I don't know if I had to sit down and someone assigned me with describing the earth that the word peace would show up on my list anywhere. I mean, it certainly wouldn't be in the top 10, top 15, top 25 answers of how I would describe the earth, and neither would you, because we all watch the news, we're all on social media, and the things we would maybe describe the earth as is chaotic and crazy and dysfunctional and messy and confusing and conflicted and no one gets along with anyone and no one agrees with anyone. And it's just kind of crazy because the word peace just doesn't come to my mind. Even after Christmas where we celebrated the Prince of Peace, I'm not sure that we would think of our time right now as maybe the most peaceful. And I want to speak into that for just a minute. Because I want peace for you, and I want peace for myself. And, you know, as I think about the anticipation of all that went into Christmas and find ourselves here today, maybe at an in-law's house or at a relative's house or a friend's house, or maybe in your own house all by yourself, or you're sitting there with family, maybe you're driving down the road and you're listening to this, what does life feel like for you? What's going through your mind as you process and you look forward to the days ahead? Are those thoughts, thoughts of peace? I want that for us. I desire that 
for us. And I believe that we can be confident that we can experience peace because that's what the angels declared on this night. But it's true just as much as it was for them. It's true for us today. Peace among all with whom he is pleased. And here's the deal. Listen, peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is a perspective of knowing how the story is going to end. We celebrated the arrival of Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. But we know how the story continues. We know the life that Jesus lived. We know that he went to the cross, that he gave his life for us, but that he came back to life and he's alive today. But we're also promised that he is going to return again. And I think in American Christianity, we forget that. We forget the reality of what it means when Jesus is going to return one day. He's going to return to make all things new. It's going to be this return, this celebration. He's going to crack open the sky. And all things that are broken and dysfunctional in him are going to be made new. And I look forward to that day. And as I look forward, I begin to have peace as I think about that. And so what I want us to think about today is what is it that's keeping us from having that peace? And I want to look at a brief story. If you just flip over a couple of pages in Luke chapter 6, it's an encounter that Jesus has with some religious uh, people, some, some followers of tradition and ritual and Jewish custom, Jewish religion. And I want us to look at this and I want us to understand what it looks like to have a hard heart. And when I say a hard heart, what I mean by that is an unwillingness to let God do what he wants to do in us and through us. That's what it looks like to have a hard heart. And I want us to understand that because when we have a hard heart towards God and what he wants to do in us and through us, it leaves us in a place where we cannot experience peace. And we learn that in this story. So let's pick up this story in Luke chapter 6. And I want to start in verse 6 and read six verses this morning. It says, On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now we've got to pause right there because it's talking about the Sabbath. And this was a big deal because in this day, in the Jewish tradition, the Jewish custom, the Sabbath was an important day where you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything but remember God and celebrate God and keep the Sabbath holy. And so it was such an important day that even the religious had created rules and structure and practices that were specific to this day. And one of those rules was that you could not heal on the Sabbath. And so here we find ourselves on the scene. Jesus is hanging out in the synagogue and he's teaching on the Sabbath. So far, so good. We continue to read. It says there was a man there whose right hand was withered. Now it's significant that we understand the, that what, what's, what's happening in this moment. Jesus is teaching the religious elite, the scribes and the Pharisees. And in this crowd of religious elite is this man with a withered hand. Now he wasn't supposed to be there. This man wasn't allowed in this place to listen to the teachings of Jesus with these religious leaders. But somehow he finds himself in this place. And I'm, I'm confident of this, that he probably was hiding his hand. He didn't want anybody to see what was not right about him. And so he had to keep it hidden so that he could continue to exist in this place. And scholars believe that this particular man was probably a carpenter. And so when you think about a withered hand for a carpenter, it would be really difficult to perform the duties that your job would require in order to find your own personal financial security, to be the father and the provider of your home, to feel valued and, and worth what you're supposed to be in life. And so this, this represents something significant for every single one of us because we all have those issues in our lives that begin to create insecurity. It stirs us and it leads us to a place where we struggle 
to find peace. And that's what this man is experiencing as he's in this moment. As we continue on in verse 7, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely. That translation, that word would be something like a predator watching its prey. I mean, they are watching every movement of Jesus. They're listening to every word coming out of his mouth to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that that they might find reason to accuse him. I mean, they were watching Jesus closely. like They're just waiting for that moment to pounce as he does something that they don't believe he is supposed to do within their religious structure and their religious tradition. I mean, think about this. These religious leaders, so perfect, so righteous. And they're like, yeah, I know that we heard that this Jesus guy was walking on water, but there's no way that he really is the Messiah, that he really is the Son of God. And so they're trying to find evidence to build their case against Jesus. So this this dramatic scene begins to unfold. And then in verse 8 it says, But he knew what they were thinking. We see Jesus' deity in this verse. It says that Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus knew the situation. He knew what was going on. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward, exclamation mark. I mean, he speaks strongly. He's watching what's going on as he's teaching. And he tells this man who probably had his hand concealed up to this point. Can you imagine for just, I mean, just, just, just pause for a second and just think about what it would be like to be this man. This is one of those moments for him where he's like, oh, oh shoot or oh, whatever emoji you need to use. This man has a panic moment. He is sitting there concealing his issue. He doesn't want anybody to know because if he, if he is found out, then he would most likely be pushed out from this religious gathering. And Jesus calls him out. And he says, get up, come here. I mean, this man probably panicked. It would be similar to you and I driving down the highway and being completely oblivious to the police officer that's on the other side of the hill. And then you see those blue lights in your rearview mirror and there's that panic like, oh my gosh, I've been caught. I've been found out. That's the the feeling that this guy begins to experience in this moment as Jesus calls him out. But he's calling him out out on purpose. And he's not calling him out to shame him. He's not calling him out to make a public spectacle of him. He's calling him out because he wants to heal him. And I think we just need to pause right here because I don't know where you find yourself. And maybe you're watching online, but this isn't the first time you've watched online. You've been watching online for years at different churches, just wishing that maybe you could show up and feel like you were a part of it, but you're not sure that you can show up without concealing some of the things in your life that you think might bring shame or add to the regret or the judgment that maybe you've experienced in your life. And can I just tell you that this this passage gives me confidence that the church is supposed to be a place where Jesus can call us out in all of our messiness and bring us to a place of healing and restoration. We see that begin to happen in the story. But I want us to pay attention to the response, not just from the man with the withered hand. Look how it continues. It says, and he got up and he came forward. And Jesus said to them, So as this man's walking towards them and he's approaching Jesus, nervous, not sure what's about to happen, Jesus begins to look at the room again. He's scanning the crowd and he says to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? He asks this big question as this man is approaching him, probably still has his hand in his pocket trying to conceal the issue that maybe has defined him for years, maybe his entire life. And Jesus asks an important question to the religious. 
And the response is honestly devastating. Because it says, after looking around at them all. So what that means is Jesus asks this question and there's this long, awkward silence because Jesus is looking around the room at everybody as he's asked this question. He's giving them a moment to respond, to consider, to be honest with themselves and to be honest with the situation going on in front of them, to be honest with the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah. There's an opportunity to make a decision. It says, and looking around at them all, he said to him, notice he takes his eyes off the crowd again. He looks at this man. He says, stretch out your hand. These are strong words. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage. Do you, do you see this? This man is miraculously healed. Restoration takes place in this man's life, and the response of the religious elite was rage. Now, I'm not a genius or a rocket scientist, but I know that rage does not equal peace. And what's crazy to me in this story is that these men were in the presence of Jesus himself, the living son of God. They are in his presence, yet they are failing to experience his peace because he showed up on this earth so that we could live in peace. It says, but they themselves were filled with rage and disgust together what they might do to Jesus. Mark recounts the story and he says that they actually began to plot to take Jesus' life after this encounter. There's no peace. They had an opportunity to meet Jesus and to see him for who he really is and they missed out on this opportunity. They began to organize a plot to kill Jesus. And I wonder for us today, in this weird time between Christmas and New Year's, if maybe we're in the same place, the place of having a hard heart, unwilling to do and allow God to do what he wants to do in us and through us, and not even recognizing it. Because we might be like them thinking, I go to church, I sing the songs, I listen, I even take notes during the sermon. I give my tithe, I give to best gift, I, I do all the things that I'm supposed to do that are part of the religious routine in my life. But I wonder if there's maybe a hard heart that you're experiencing that is keeping you from experiencing the peace of God in this season. As you reflect back on 2020, as you look forward to 2021. You see, I think there's three quick things that, that contribute to this hard heart. We see this in the life of the Pharisees and in the scribes. The first one is control. Listen, I'm a control freak. I hate that about myself, but I know that it's true about me. It's the reason that I hate to fly. It's the reason that I always insist on driving because I think in my head that I'm a better driver than whoever is going to be riding with me. It's the reason that I annoy some of my coworkers because I think that I know best or I can do better. And I know that I'm not alone in being a control freak. I know some of you are that way. I see it on the weekends sometimes. We don't like to be told what to do. I mean, we dismiss the main room in a specific way. And I see some of it in some of you. You're like, oh, I can't believe I have to sit here and wait for them to tell me what I can and can't do. I get it. Like, we're all in the, the struggle of being somewhat of a control freak. And you see this in this story. These Pharisees and these scribes, they're fearful of losing control of the life they've worked so hard to create. This guy named Jesus has showed up on the scene and he's shaking things up. 
some of the things that they've held on so tightly to by him being there and him doing what he's doing in the lives of those around him. It's starting to shake up what they found their security in. And it's taking away some of their control. You see this in their response. It begins to harden their heart to who Jesus is. And the result of that is they fail to experience the peace that Jesus was there to bring. Jesus brings peace and he brings peace through his freedom. When we're willing to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give up control of my life. Jesus, I let you be the boss. I let you be the king. You know, it's interesting. The two things we freak out about the most in our lives is the future and other people. And what also is interesting about that is those are probably the two things in our lives that we have the least amount of control over. And so we, we, try, to, we try to run, we try to um, figure out how to make everything work together. We try to manipulate situations so that we can feel like we're in control because when we're in control, we feel secure. But the most security that you and I will ever experience that leads to peace is to begin to find our security in a man named Jesus. Not only does control contribute to a hard heart, but misunderstanding can contribute to a hard heart. Several weeks ago, my wife got a haircut. And listen, I've been married for over 14 years, and I still have a lot to learn. Uh, But she came home from getting her hair done, and it was a big deal, and she was excited about it. And as she gets home, um, I look at her, and I was like, yeah, it looks good. And a few minutes later, I'm standing in the bathroom with her, and she goes, you don't like it, do you? You see, fellas, um, when I say it looks good to you or you say that to me, then that means it looks good. But to her or to your wife or to your female friends, when you say it looks good, they hear it looks average. It's mediocre. Maybe I should wear a hat for the next three months. Maybe I shouldn't have wasted my money on this haircut. They begin to question There's a misunderstanding that takes place, and I've still got a lot to learn. I struggle to understand sometimes, but I think that we've got to pay attention to that in this story because the Pharisees were struggling to understand that Jesus was the Messiah because he didn't show up to do things the way they thought he was going to do the things that he was doing. They thought he was going to come and he was going to wreck shop on the Roman Empire. But he began to lead with humility. He began to serve with love. And it made them uncomfortable and there was a misunderstanding that led to the hardness of their hearts that kept them from experiencing the peace that you and I can find in Jesus. You see, I think the reality for us today is simply not to believe, God, I'm going to trust you when things aren't tough, but God, I want to trust you because things are tough. And I know that I can trust you because I know how the story ends. And so even though I don't understand everything, I do understand the ending of the story. And because I understand the ending of the story, my confidence is in you, God. When we fail to do that, we find ourselves in a place where we're unwilling to do what God wants to do in us and through us. The third thing is simply this dishonesty. You see this dishonesty taking place in the lives of the Pharisees. You know, I think back to my marriage for a second, and fellas, you, you understand this. I'm talking about some of the confusion and the dysfunction that exists in relationship sometimes. But if you've ever had an encounter with your wife or with a, another, uh, another female where there was some, uh, an, some sort of conflict, and it didn't get resolved in that moment, and then you come back around, say, 30 minutes, an hour later, and you begin to kind of ask, hey, what, what's going on? And they respond with, nothing, I'm fine. Listen, if you just walk away in that moment and you say, oh, sweet, she is good, she's good to go, everything is fine, you're just compounding the conflict. The conflict has just gotten worse as you think that that's really the case for her. Because what she's saying, she's saying, no, not everything is fine. 
And we need to, you need to figure out what's going on so that we can get this fixed. And I know that for me, sometimes I can just walk away from that. And I think what we have to do is we've got to ask some questions. Hey, listen, I know that not everything is fine, but I'm having a hard time understanding maybe what exactly I did. Or let's, let's have some dialogue. Let's have some honest conversation about what's going on here. And I think the same thing is happening in the story. There was an opportunity for honesty. And the Pharisees, the religious elite, weren't willing to step into that. They weren't willing to address and answer the question that Jesus asked. Jesus asks them a question. I mean, we all believe that laws and rules are good, right? I mean, we all have them. We all might have a disagreement on what they should be exactly when you think about like the speed limit. We all believe a speed limit is good, but we would all probably disagree on what that number is supposed to be. But no matter where that number lies, if there's a life on the line and you've got to speed to get somebody to the ER, you would believe and you would agree that there are times where bending the rule or moving past the rule is a good thing to do because it's preserving the life of somebody. And that's the question that Jesus is asking to these Pharisees, but he's wanting them to see something bigger than just the situation. He's wanting them to experience peace, and he gives them this moment to respond. And in that moment, they weren't willing to be honest. They weren't willing to address some of their confusion, some of their questions. Instead, they left in a place of rage. You know, we tend to be that way sometimes, fake, phony, not willing to be real with Jesus. But we can't forget, he already knows the issues. He already knows some of the things that maybe we're trying to conceal that we don't want to be honest about anyways. He already knows the questions or the doubts that we have, so why not just, just throw them out there? Why not express those to him and let him know what they are? He already knows. So let me just ask you this today wherever you're sitting, maybe you're sitting there with family, maybe this is a conversation you want to have afterwards. But how's your heart? How's your heart this Christmas? Everything's kind of come and gone. Maybe you're asking the question, is this it? Is that all that it really was? And everything's kind of coming back to, to normal. And normal is not a place of peace. But as Jesus followers in Luke chapter 2, we can have confidence because there's a promise made that there's peace available to us. So where does this land for you? You know what's interesting is I kind of land this plane today. If you go back to the story, the Pharisees were hung up in this moment because Jesus was breaking one of the Ten Commandments. He was doing what he wasn't supposed to do on the Sabbath. And they leave in a moment of rage to pursue the steps needed to take to take the life of Jesus, which would be murder, which is also one of the Ten Commandments. You know, I find that ironic but I think it's also very real. But oftentimes when we're experiencing a hard heart, we're willing to do things that we know are not God's will for our lives because they fit the agenda of our life on that day. And it seems to make sense in that day when we know it's not God's best for us. So if today you just need to diagnose, is there a hard heart that you're living with? Maybe the simple question that you just need to begin to ask is this. Is there anything that you're doing in your life today that at some point back in the past you told yourself you would never do? Is there something that you are running after? Is there something you're participating in? Is there a step that you're delaying that you've become comfortable with? It could be obvious. It could be the answer. It could be the diagnosis to the question, do you have a hard heart? So what I want us to do today Jessica's going to sing 
my favorite song. It's an old hymn. And as she sings that, I want us to take communion because Jesus told us to do that. He asked us to remember him, to remember his body when we take the bread, his body that was broken on behalf of you and me. He told us to remember his blood, to take the cup as a reminder that his blood was poured out in our place. And as I think about that and I think about the crucifixion of Jesus, I think about the death of Jesus, his body that was broken, his blood that was poured out. I was thinking about this a couple days ago. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he went to the cross. And in, that, in this intense moment of prayer, he's praying to God and he's saying, God, if it's your will, would you take this cup from me? What he's saying, he's saying, God, I, I, anything, if, if there's another way, is there another way to make this happen? And he ultimately says, but if it's your will, then he's willing to take the steps necessary. In other words, what he's saying, if it's your will, then I'm all in. And he did what he needed to do on your behalf and on my behalf. And I think the same is true for us today as we remember Jesus through communion. It's simply an opportunity to express in this moment our willing to say, Jesus, if you say so, I will. If it's your will for my life, I trust you because I know how the story ends. So as Jessica sings, no matter where you are, maybe you've got some bread or some crackers, some juice, but would you take some time and let's remember Jesus together from wherever that you are. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the days after Christmas and the opportunity to reflect and to consider. I pray that you would stir something in us right now that would soften our hearts up to your will, to your plans, to your purposes for us. And as we remember Jesus and we remember the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, I pray that it would give us confidence to trust, to say, if you say so, God, then we will. We will do everything you've called us to do. We will take that very next step. God, would you pour out your peace on us as we live in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.